Before reading the gospel lesson this morning, I want you to know how delighted Carol and I are to be back home at San Marino Community Church. We moved to Monta Vista Grove, as Marilyn said this morning, about nine years ago, but five of those nine years, we got up at five o'clock in the morning to drive to Orange County because I was involved in interim ministry in three different churches down there. You know, it seemed like we were in exile all those years in Orange County. But now we're home again and delighted that I have hung up my preaching, well, not my preaching shingle, but my interim ministry shingle as of May 1st last year. So we are home once again with you and delighted to be so. And now let us hear the gospel lesson found in Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. Then Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Carol and I are members of a wine-tasting group. And when we get together each month, it's not just to see, swirl, and sip. Each one of us is expected to describe the characteristics of the wine that we bring. For example, the vintner may suggest that his wine will display notes of apple or cherry, of peach or plum. But how does that happen? How does a grape come to, to taste like an apple or a plum? Ken Grant, sitting in the 12th pew right there, Ken Grant, a former assistant pastor in this congregation, Ken is our sommelier. And he has taught us that grapes are incredibly impressionable. Their surroundings influence how they will taste. And so bees, as they flit through the vineyard, will carry pollen from fruit trees, from shrubs, from bushes, from grasses, even from weeds. And that may explain why the owner of, in this parable, planted a fig tree in his vineyard, not to sell fig newtons to the kids on Sunday morning, but to enhance the taste of his wine. Can't you hear one of his dinner guests saying, Ah, I detect a hint of fig in your Chardonnay. But what if the fig tree is barren? 
What if there is no pollen for the bees to scatter around the vineyard? Then not only will the fig tree contribute nothing to the grapes, its roots will bleed nutrients from the soil, nutrients that are badly needed as the grapes mature. Jesus' listeners that day weren't scratching their heads. They knew exactly what Jesus was getting at. They had heard their rabbi read the Isaiah lesson that you heard just a moment ago. And they knew that the vineyard was a symbol of the nation, of them, of the Jewish people. Many centuries before, God had planted the Jewish people in Canaan and determined that they should not only flourish there themselves, but that they should spread the good news of God's justice and love to all nations all over the world. And if they were the vineyard, then the fig tree must represent their leaders. Leaders whose faith would inspire their worship and whose care for the people would stimulate them to care for one another. But their leader, their king, Herod, didn't care one whit for his people. He was too busy feathering his own nest. Herod owned no fewer than seven palaces scattered all over Palestine. And had Rolls-Royce been in business in the first century, you can bet he would have traveled between his palaces in the luxury of a stretch limo. And all this time, his people were eking out a living on minimum wage. Ten days ago, at the men's breakfast in Fellowship Hall, attorney Steve Dorsey spoke about ethics in government today. Ethics in government? Most of what he had to say had to do with corruption in government. And while he gave San Marino an A-plus report card when it comes to government, he pointed out a couple of poster children within a stone's throw of this community, Rosemead, Temple City, not to mention Bell, City of Industry, and now last week we read about San Francisco adding the list of corruption in government. Has anything changed since the first century? And then there was corruption in, of all places, the temple in Jerusalem. You couldn't buy a sacrificial animal or pigeon with the money in your pocket when you went to the temple. You had to exchange your money for temple money at a special kiosk. And when you got there, you found out that the exchange rates were exorbitant which meant that the money managers in Jerusalem were getting rich off ordinary people and there wasn't anything they could do about it. They simply had to go along with the system. 
And when I read about the pharmaceutical that bought the drug Daraprim, a drug that is sorely needed by HIV patients, and immediately hiked the price from $13.50 a tablet to $750 a tablet, I ask again, has anything changed? Now it would be great if the sermon ended right here. If Tom would just pronounce the benediction, we could all go home to our roast beef after having roasted whichever politician or public agency upset us the most. And then having vented our spleen at this or that self-seeking leader, we could gather with Jesus for a group photograph. After all, we are innocent bystanders, aren't we, when it comes to corruption? We're innocent bystanders, and so we applaud Jesus when he speaks truth to power. But it won't do. Dear friends, it won't do. You and I have no right to play the innocent card because we too are leaders, every single one of us. Our God has planted every one of us in the vineyard of this world to share God's love, justice, hope, and peace with the world. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. You are the salt of the earth. The metaphors are different, but the meaning is the same. You and I exert influence every moment of every day toward every person we meet. And in that sense, you and I are leaders. Like the fig tree in the vineyard. No, you and I won't single-handedly solve the immigration crisis or gun violence. We won't stop the flow of drugs into the United States or single-handedly bring peace to the Middle East. But the dad, the dad who plays ball with his children, and the mother who reads bedtime stories is pouring love into the next generation. The CEO who pays her Chinese workers more than minimum wage is packing justice into a pay envelope. The spouse who cares for his or her partner who is now sliding into dementia emits great compassion. And when you give generously to the one great hour of sharing three weeks from today on Palm Sunday, when you give generously to one great hour of sharing, you are providing tents and medicine for victims of Typhoon Winston on Fiji and the victims of earthquake in Afghanistan and the victims of crisis and terror wherever it may happen in the world. You and others like you are leaders in God's realm, like a flourishing, fruitful fig tree in the vineyard.
But if for whatever reason we have opted out, age, disability, illness, because we are now retired, if we go back to our dining rooms without a backward glance at a world in hunger, if we sing the final hymn today and forget today's parable, then we deserve to hear Jesus' warning. I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? Now, thankfully, that's not the last word in this parable. Jesus tells us the gardener has the last word. And it's a word about second chances and third and fourth and fifth chances. Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. Now, if manure offends your sensibilities, let me throw a spade of miracle grow your way. It's the story of McKenna Goodrich, who for the past three years has taken her little red wagon and gone door to door asking her neighbors to contribute jackets and blankets for the homeless. In the last winter alone, for the past three months alone, this 12-year-old girl has collected more than 1,000 hats, jackets, gloves, and blankets for the Phoenix Rescue Mission. We should care about those in need, she said. Everyone should feel cared for. McKenna Goodrich is a leader, 12 years old. And I'm willing to bet that everyone who read that story last week went immediately to their closet and pulled out coats and hats and blankets and gloves to give to their local homeless shelter. And all because of a 12-year-old girl. And now it's our turn. What will it be? Clothing for the homeless? Food for the hungry? Take a neighbor to a doctor's appointment? Pray daily for persons on today's prayer list in the bulletin? What will it be? Open your eyes, engage your heart, spread your arms, scatter some love in your acre of God's vineyard.